Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you! Welcome home. Hi, Downer Junkies. It's Sandra. And this is Scott. We have something for you today on the show that uh, we haven't done in quite a while. Yeah, trying something a little bit different. Well, we've we've kind of done this before. Yeah, for sure. So what it is, is it's a variation on a little book report. Uh, like a show and tell book yeah, report. Kinda, a little progress yeah. report for some of us. Um, where Scott and I separately read a series. I read a duology. I've read three and a f- three quarters books. And I've read <laughs> um, some of the books Scott's talking about. He has not read the books I'm talking about that I'm talking about. And I um I wanted to read these books, my duology, and I kind of had a feeling that at the time I was reading them, Scott would not be interested. But I do actually think that he would enjoy these books on audio. It's um, we'll talk in more detail about it. But the books in question that I'm going to be talking about tonight are by Chuck Wendig, the prolific and well-known Chuck Wendig, and that is Wanderers and Wayward. And what I am going to be talking about this evening is, well, very specifically Iron Gold. But uh, I'm going to start by I'm going to start by talking about the uh, Red Rising trilogy leading into Iron Gold by Pierce Brown. Uh, we always like to share a little something, something before we get started. And just to let you know, this is still going to be the format of a typical genre junkies episode where the first half is going to be spoiler free for sure. And, you know, we're just going to kind of give you our little our little bare bones. And then in the second part, it's just all spoilers. But we'll warn you before we get there. Well, I have something we have to share with the class. Okay, what's that? We are currently caught up on The Last of Us. Yes, we are. Um, I have to say, as I, I, I never finished the first game. Yes. But I played, I played, I would say, about half of it. I, I, you know, I, it's kind of hard to tell when you haven't played the whole game. but. Um, I kind of noped out of it because of just how bleak it was. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying the show. I love I really the show. am. We're both loving the show. It's, you know, it, it keeps some of that bleakness to it, I have to say. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Something about it. Just it. Maybe it's maybe it's Pedro Pascal. Um, I feel like it has a lot of charisma. And I think part of that is the performers in it, mm-hmm. the characters in it. Um, but it also has like that charisma. It has a lot of chemistry between the actors and um, a lot of humor and also a lot of heart, but um, a lot of humor. And I think that that is something that is really kind of selling it for me. So I was a fan of The Walking Dead, though I sort of faded <laughs> off <laughs> at the end there. But um, it wasn't super funny. Like there might be like a little zinger every once in a while, but oh, like, yeah. but. It's like, and I'm not really super comparing the two, but like to give you an example, like The Last of Us has a lot of humor. Like you will laugh a couple times in an episode. You will be charmed. You will see the charisma. You will see the chemistry. And though it is bleak, it doesn't feel like inky bleakness. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that about the humor and comparing it to The Walking Dead, because you're right. The Walking Dead really is is more bleak yeah it, 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 when taking at the 
at the macro scale, you know, it's yeah. it's very grim, dark, very serious all the time, and right. Um, but there's kind of a gleeful violence to it at the same time. Well, yeah, which was enjoyable. Um, this kind of has that too. It has a little gleeful violence. This one does. I th- I feel like this one has more gleeful violence than the game did, or at least the yeah. the violence feels more gleeful to me now than the game did. At but the there's time. also just more mirth and more hope in general. Yes. Mirth and hope. <laughs> um, so something else relevant to the genre junkies. Um, we're going to keep this very vague and spoiler-free. We saw Knock at the Cabin, which is an adaptation of Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. And you can go back and listen to our full review of that book. Yes. And, you know, you're right. We're not going to make this a whole episode about that. We're not going to make it this an episode about that at all. And we're not going to spoil. Um. I will just say that I almost asked you if we could, because <laughs> I I have we, we both actually have a lot to say about that film. Yes. And I think a lot of people do. And you know I'm like, oh my god, if there was ever a time that I could be like, could you just call this number and we'll like we'll arrange a group like <laughs> chat to discuss this or something i don't know where we can all who've read the book and seen the movie kind of talk about our feelings hey crazy idea if you want to do like a like a live stream call-in show sort of thing i, I guess know. like we let have us enough, know we have enough people if we get enough people who'd be interested in doing that we should just should they email us uh yeah just email us um podcast at genrejunkies.com if you want to talk if you want to talk uh paul tremblay yeah uh, knock at the cabin, cabin at the end of the world. Um, I will say that just as a movie, it is a pretty good movie. Um, well acted, super incredibly well acted. Well acted. The casting Great cast. is outstanding. Um, like pre- pretty good. I wouldn't say like it's super satisfying, but it's pretty good. However, there <laughs> decisions were made <laughs> that are different than the book and scott and i you know we, everybody always knows oh the book's better but it's like well yeah but sometimes the book's better because the author's choices um were better <laughs> yeah <laughs> than the adaptations choices which are different and not as good i will i will also say for myself that you know i'm I, I I'm always of the camp of the book is better almost always. At the same are. time, like I I can respect that choices are made to make it you know different. Sometimes for the sake of just being different, that that is actually end up being okay. Totally. And there's some changes that are made for film for a number of different reasons that yeah. are fine and, yeah. and ultimately still capture the essence and are great. I don't want a shot Jurassic for shot. Park. Yeah, I don't want a shot for shot adaptation of the book because then I just read the book, right? Like I want a little license, I want a little creativity, I want a little something. Yeah. Um however. However. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just what we should say. However. However. Yeah. Period. Pier on period, as the kids used to say. <laughs> um all right, so yeah, email us if you wanna if you wanna talk yeah, about it. We'll, we'll have, little, we'll have we'll a group a therapy get, session. Yeah, if we get a couple of people who are interested in in it, we'll just do a little. We'll schedule a little chat with yeah. all of us, a little roundtable, little little therapy session. Okay, so without further ado, um, let's get into it. Let's synopsisize our books and spoiler free. Here we go. Starting with the first book of the series, uh, Red Rising. Darrow is a red. 
a member of the lowest caste in the color-coded society of the future. Like his fellow Reds, he works all day believing that he and his people are making the surface of Mars livable for future generations. Yet, he toils willingly, trusting that his blood and sweat will one day result in a better world for his children. But Darrow and his kind have been betrayed. Soon he discovers that humanity reached the surface generations ago. Vast cities and lush wilds spread across the planet. Darrow, and Reds like him, are nothing more than slaves to a decadent ruling class. Inspired by a longing for justice and driven by memory of lost love, Darrow sacrifices everything to infiltrate the legendary Institute, a proving ground for the dominant gold caste where the next generation of humanity's overlords struggle for power. He will be forced to compete for his life and the very future of civilization against the best and most brutal of society's ruling class. There, he will stop at nothing to bring down his enemies, even if it means he has to become one of them to do so. Um, for a little information, too, um, I have read the trilogy, um, and I've read Iron Gold, which Scott's going to talk about, which is the fourth book. And I think I've read the fifth book. The fifth book came out fairly recently. I don't know then. Hmm. Now I can't remember. I do intend to complete all the books and read them all. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Sandra and I read the original trilogy, Red Rising and... and um, when it came out years When ago. it first came out yeah. many years ago. It is, however, the fourth book that I have just recently picked up. So I can weigh in on this because I have read um, at least through the books Scott is going to be talking about in uh, the spoiler-free and spoiler section. So I have to say I'm a big fan of these books. Um, I really love his writing. I think it's beautiful and lyrical, inventive and interesting. I like the cast system he's created. And this future that he's dreamed of for us, dreamed, kind of a nightmare, really, <laughs> um, is heavily influenced by Rome. Ancient Rome, ancient Greco-Rome, I should say. I think there's a little bit of Greece in there, a little bit of, a little bit of Greece in Rome, which is just, those are my people. That is my thing. My favorite thing to learn about is the ancient world, specifically ancient Greece and Rome. And I love how it's like we've kind of come this bastardized full circle. Um, yeah, really cool books. The good audiobooks too. Yes. So um this is so as we said, I, I we both read the original trilogy long ago. And this was a very different undertaking for me because I said long ago when I first found out that they were that that he was writing a fourth book. Mm -hmm. I said, I am delighted with how the series ended. It's one of my favorite series of all time. The trilogy. It, the trilogy, the, the original trilogy is yes. one of my favorite series of all time. Truly. Mm -hmm. It it has themes of Battlestar Galactica. It has themes of Ender's Game, Hunger Games. Yeah. I it's it's but but it's incredibly inventive and original, mm -hmm. very like powerful and dark and meaningful. It's outstanding, and it ends at it ends in a way that I found completely satisfying. And of course, you know, I want I want to live with the characters. I want to. Well. Can I interject some buzzwords that people might like too? Yeah. Um, if you like books where there's a quest, 
if you like books where there's a school setting, if you like books where there's a tournament. Yeah. Those are like tropes that a lot of people are like, go on. So I wanted to throw those out there in case that kind of helps seal the deal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to love in this. If, if you're, if you're a fan of any kind of, of science fiction or even parts of horror, there's so much to love in it. I, it, it's, it's the most, I, I cannot give it more of a mass appeal in my opinion, uh, than, than, than anything. Right. Yeah. Same. So when I found out that he was writing a, a fourth book, I said, I don't want to read it because I'm happy with how it ended. I didn't, you know, I have, I have read on in, in stories that have, I've loved very much and have regretted reading more. I told Scott he was, I told him he was a silly. I was like, you're a silly. Silly, stubborn, certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I totally, I totally respect that. But, you know, if, if I can make another example of a series that, you know, Wizard's First Rule, uh, I love that book so much. Yeah. I, I adore that book. Where the Terry Goodkind people at? We haven't talked about Terry Goodkind in a minute. I know. I might actually have to reread Wizard's First Rule specifically. I love that book. I don't know. So I think much. you should reread the whole thing. I will never reread the <laughs> whole thing. There's a lot to love in the rest of that series. I'm not going to like yes, poo the whole thing, but I do regret reading on. Because once you start reading the second book of that series, you kind of have to read the rest of that series. <laughs> and and it, again, it gets wild, man. It gets real wild. Um, so that would that's another example of something that I, you know, I wish I had stopped when I, you know, I wish I I gotten off of the jump You'd off been point. Burned. But I had not listened to this series on audiobook, and I was told by a very dear friend that the audiobooks for the original trilogy are outstanding. That's our and, friend Jenica. And I will say they are outstanding so good really one of the best well there are three audiobooks but i'll just count it as one one of the best audiobooks i've ever listened to it's incredible it's outstanding um partially because of the story and partially because tim gerard reynolds who is the narrator has this style where he's incredibly he He's incredibly well spoken. His diction is so strong, and yet he he speeds up and slows down, and has so many voices for these characters in a way that is is not normal for an audiobook. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's like honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So I wanted to listen to it again, and our good friend Jenica also said, "But oh my god, the fourth and fifth book are so good. You really have to do it." I told her exactly what my problems were, my concerns, and she said, you have to do it. So yeah, over the course of what, three, two weeks, really, over the course of two weeks, I have ingested, re-ingested the entire original series and have read most of Iron Gold, the fourth book. I (laughs) have some thoughts. I have some thoughts. (sighs) And I have some thoughts. I can't go into detail on what I feel about the fourth book without it without spoiling the original trilogy. So, um, to hear what I thought of the fourth book or my experiences, you're going to have to wait for the spoiler section. But for the original trilogy, I was reminded again by how amazingly incredible it is. I recommend it to every single one of our listeners. Whether you love fantasy, sci-fi, or horror, read Red Rising. You will be absolutely hooked. 
Um, I concur. Uh, I have I have planned a red rising tattoo that I haven't gotten yet, but I have it planned. And um, there's a board game. There is like a cult following for Pierce and for these books, and he is um, a very good follow on social media, and he really cares about his fans, and he's a great communicator. So, just also wanted to to throw that in there to sweeten the deal. If you haven't read the damn books, read the books. My turn. Your turn. So, of course, I can only talk about Wanderers, which is the first book in the duology. So, Wanderers came out in July of 2019. The sequel in this duology, Wayward, came out in November of 2022. So, fairly recent in our history. So, let's keep in mind that the first book, July 2019, Wanderers. Shanna wakes up one morning to discover her little sister in the grip of a strange malady. She appears to be sleepwalking. She cannot talk and cannot be woken up. And she is heading with determination to a destination that only she knows. But Shanna and her sister are not alone. Soon they are joined by a flock of sleepwalkers from across America on the same mysterious journey. And like Shanna, there are other shepherds who follow the flock to protect their friends and family on the long, dark road ahead. For as the sleepwalking phenomena awakens terror and violence in America, the real danger may not be the epidemic, but the fear of it. With society collapsing all around them, and an ultra-violent militia threatening to exterminate them, the fate of the sleepwalkers depends on unraveling the mystery behind the epidemic. The terrifying secret will either tear the nation apart or bring the survivors together to remake a shattered world. So. Imagine, if you will, you write this book about an epidemic, mm-hmm. but let's just call it a pandemic. <laughs> and this is before the COVID-19 was well known everywhere and being super feared, right? And then during the pandemic, he's got to write the sequel. Yeah. So I think this is a very interesting snapshot intersection of literature in our time because it's like you start to write a thing and i'm sure he had ideas and i'm very curious how our political climate and the pandemic changed where he took the second book Hmm. so in the first book we have um a pretty wide cast of characters and we're kind of got to get us all on one page and we've got to unravel this mystery and it's very sciencey sci-fi horror um that's kind of the best way i can describe it is a very sciencey sci-fi horror this book is definitely not gonna be for everybody because there are times when he gets pretty graphic and grotesque in his horror depictions however i think it could be great for people who you know kind of dabble in horror dabble in science fiction love those things or they want to get into the genres i i think this could be a pretty good introduction for them because i think it brings up some really interesting points so when you talk about really graphic yeah are you talking about Body horror? Are you talking about violence? I'm just curious. Okay. Yeah. Um, I also have some pretty strong trigger warnings, but um, I will go ahead and put those at the top of the spoiler section. Mm -hmm. But if you're interested and you like to hear trigger warnings, I would definitely stay tuned. So I hilariously heard about the second book and was like, oh, I want to read this. 
And then like a week before it came out, I was like, oh, this is the second one? Oh, okay. So I had to go back. And these are not short books either. And I was like, okay, okay, right, right. All right, let's get let's let's get into it. So in a way, I was kind of like huffing my way, huffing and puffing through the first book because I was like, I got to get to that second book. I got to get to that second book. Um, You can't skip it. <laughs> you can't. Oh, I'll get caught up. I wouldn't recommend that. I really think, especially with the depth and breadth of characters he gives us, mm. you've got to read book one and then book two. Yeah. Um, I had some distinct thoughts. There was one book I greatly preferred to the other in the duology. Interesting. And I'll share that in the spoiler section. Um, so those triggers and also kind of this bleak-ish, post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic thing um, were all fed into the reasons why I thought when I was reading this, this wouldn't be the right time for you to read this book, Scott. Because... Up until like last week, you you were, you were you were kind of having apocalyptic fatigue, which I think a lot of people were. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting. I feel like this was a really good time in history for The Last of Us to be released because I think a lot of people were fatigued of this kind of subject matter. I think that that's really fair. Um and that's not just my surmising. That's from talking to people and other readers and stuff on the internet. Um, so I was kind of like, oh man, I think Scott would enjoy this, but just not right now. And you were, you're probably right about that. Um, you know, hearing about the premise of it, it's mm -hmm. probably not exactly what I'm looking for right now. Yes. Um, you know, there can be a lot of catharsis about, you know, in reading stuff that, that mirrors Totally. Real life. And, you know, and I definitely have found that at times, but I think you're right. I think you're right. I think. Uh, well, and same thing with with you deciding to reread The Red Rising and move on to Iron Gold is, I think, at other points in the last, you know, three-ish years, you would not have been, you and other readers would not have been in the mood to read about the world after the breakdown, mm -hmm. which is, you know, that's the what those books are about, too. So that's my recommendation. If you are interested in reading a book, and as a callback, it's not a shot-to-shot -shot remake of COVID-19. <laughs> um, it's very different, but you're going to see a lot of similarities to things that have happened. But if you want to read um, something that almost feels like epic fantasy, mm. but set in a horror sci-fi setting, this could be for you. And of course, this was not my first nor my last time reading Chuck Wendig. Um, and uh, a lot of people absolutely love him. I love Chuck too. Uh, so Chuck, where, why aren't you on the show? Get down here, Chuck. And you too, Pierce. What are you doing? You guys, are, you guys aren't that busy. Oh, God, I would love to get Pierce on the show. Oh. So I think we've kind of set the stage for you here. We're going to move over to the spoiler section and talk about more of the themes of the books, spoiling the books in these series up until this point, uh, especially for the Pierce Brown ones. And also, of course, I've got those triggers for Wanderers and Wayward right at the top of the spoiler section. Hey, Bookworm Buddy, don't forget... Subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're at it, find us on Instagram at Genre Junkies. Before we get into talking about spoilers for these books, as promised, here are some trigger warnings for Wanderers and Wayward. 
Please keep in mind that these books deal with themes of sexual assault, white nationalism, Christian nationalists, fascist, yucky Nazi type people. Yuck. Yeah. So if you're not in the mood for that, who could blame you? And I'll throw in there, I'll throw in a couple for the Red White Rising series. Um, violence. There is sexual assault. But yeah, there is there is sexual assault. Um, particularly in the first book. Oh. All right. <laughs> um, I know, right? Who I, I don't I I guess you should go I mean, first because we started with I you. guess I guess we'll go first. So um again, I am not going to spoil a ton of iron gold, but I am going to spoil um pretty much all of the original Red Rising trilogy in order to talk about Iron Gold. Do it. So in the original trilogy, it's the story of of breaking down the system, this horrible cast system, and through the process, Darrow has to learn, Darrow, the main character, has to learn what it means to break down a system, but also to love, have friendship, and to be a builder as well as a destroyer. And it ends with him learning how to be a builder, him proving to his love, his wife, that he can be a builder, and meeting his son that he didn't know existed, and it's this beautiful ending. Okay, we all know that, that you know, the second the emperor fell down the chute, you know, not all of a sudden the new republic is born and everything was perfect. Like, of course, it took years to put everything together. And you know what? Some of us didn't necessarily want to see why the republic was, was not a good plan. I was so afraid with, like, with more story, including Darrow, that I would that I would see an unhappy Darrow, and I would see the hero become the villain. Mm. That is what I have found in Iron Gold. Darrow doesn't believe in the system that he and his wife has built. Darrow thumbs his nose at at the Vox Populi, which is basically just the Senate. I mean, it's it is it's the voice of the people. He doesn't. He won't follow what he, they what what they are telling him to do. He's been at war for a decade after the events of Morningstar. Yeah, he never got his happiness. He never got his peace. He never got his happy ending. Which, of course, yes, we. I mean, you think about it, it makes sense. Right. It's sometimes nice to think about the happily ever after, and not worry about the repercussions. I don't like that Darrow is. Kind of, I don't agree with his decisions. I don't, I don't agree. I, I'm sad for him that he's never found happiness. And I, but I also don't agree with his decisions. And I feel like he's almost become the bad guy. Okay. Well, I will, I will tell you, I, I don't think I have the same feeling uh, as you do um, about this book. And I do think that Darrow does have some moments of happiness and joy, but he is not at rest or at peace, to, as, as you said. But we must remember there are more books to come. There certainly are. So like, we've got to be looking at the big picture here. And it's almost like, I feel like this is like group therapy. Again, we're saying for <laughs> you where we're like, Scott, you got to hang on. We're not done with the story. Okay. So th that's my feelings on Darrow. This this book takes a different direction from the original series in that it actually follows four different characters, Darrow just being one of them. Mm. Now, the other three characters, I have, you know, 
Some some I have higher opinions of than others, but at the end of the day, I'm invested in their story. Um, I almost wish Darrow wasn't a main character in the book right now at this point, because I am happy to be back in the world. I am happy to see what other people are doing and, and seeing little cameos from characters from the original trilogy has been really fun and kind of seeing what they've been doing and, you know, even seeing other characters view of what Darrow did and Mustang did and what they've done in the, in the, in the preceding 10 years and their negative opinions of, of, of where they are now versus where they were 10 years ago. I'm comfortable with that. It's very realistic. I, 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 you know, I'm comfortable reading that. I know not everyone's going to worship him and I wouldn't want everyone to worship him for the, for now until eternity. Um, I will say because of that, that, that redirection as far as having multiple viewpoints, the book also has multiple narrators. Now I'm not going to go into specifics because I'm going to say some pretty harsh things about some of the narration. Okay. Okay. Some of the new narrators are awesome. I love them. I love them. I love them as much as the original, uh, in one case more genuinely legitimately more i'm excited Mm -hmm. there is one that is not like the others (laughs) i know they don't have they don't have the different voices that the other three do and and this is not their fault i would actually blame this on i don't know if you would call it casting um i would definitely blame it a little bit on the audio mixer of it but they have this a volume discrepancy. Their dynamic range for you audio nerds out there is too great where they'll talk really loudly and then go really quiet. <laughs> and when you're listening to it in your car or not excellent headphones, right? It's very hard to find the right volume level because when they start a sentence, it's very loud. And then when they end it, it's very quiet. Now, you're listening to this. You may not notice that dynamic range because I do a lot of things to compress that dynamic range. Right. When we talk quiet or loud, it's usually around the same volume. It is not in this audiobook. Um, the pacing that this writer that this uh, the pacing that this narrator does also does not match the other three narrators. And what I mean is, usually when I'm listening to an audiobook, I find a speed that works for me where. I still capture the characterizations and the narrator's intent, but still is at a faster speed of that, which I digest it in a way that I actually appreciate. Right. And every book has a different speed. There's not usually a book where there are different speeds within the book. Every other narrator, I am great at 1.3 in this book. I love it at 1.3, but this other narrator I have to listen to at one X speed to understand what's happening. And that is such a bummer to me. It makes the audiobook re like for me really difficult to listen to. And I've been switching to the book a lot more, which I don't have as much time to read in that form. And it's really a bummer. And, um, you know, I really had to think, is that like shaping my, opinion of the book and, and i don't think it is well it's informing your experience but it's definitely informing my experience it is it's just a bummer um yeah i think it's all just kind of a little bit of a matter of perspective and i'm not gonna talk too long about this 
But um, like I said, I'm still down for the ride because it's not over. So I'm very much trusting. Pierce has not lost my trust yet in this process. Um, I like the idea of, okay, let's have a revolution. We're the revolutionaries. Okay, now what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm very fascinated by that. And like, because it's, you know, it, it's not just going to be like, and ta-da, it's all over and everything's fine. It's kind of like with, like with Star Wars, you know, like we're seeing like, wow, people still have to live in shitty planets and shitty situations. You know what I mean? Like, um, I like kind of seeing like, whoa, okay, that was great. But if we're going to be the change makers and the future makers, um, what is going to happen to us? What is going to happen to our personalities, our relationships? What's the world going to look like? So I'm very, very interested in that. Um, and also, I will follow Severo to the ends of any Earth. As will I. And it's interesting you mentioned Severo. My favy, favy, fave. Because this is another part of the um, of the equation that I don't know if I was even able to put into words until now. Another reason why I think I was scared of reading any future books is because there are certain characters in the Red Rising series that I was so terrified would die yeah i mean terrified and even amongst my my re-listen there were certain things that i didn't remember and there is a point in the third book again please read the series if you haven't okay you shouldn't even be here i know there is a point in the third book right towards the end where severo air quote dies right and i literally did not remember that it was ruse i had forgotten it. it had been that long and i was beside myself. I was like, I cannot like, how did I forget that Severo dies? I cannot, I can't, I am, I can't handle this. Like I, I literally can't, you know, Severo Mustang, um, Cassius. Yeah. I, I, there are certain characters that I'm just like, I have so much anxiety over. Yeah. I'm not, I wasn't even now was not prepared to go back in and be like, well, Severo could die any chapter here yeah. could die in any chapter. And I'm not okay with it. I'm not, especially, especially now when there's, you know, seemingly even more for Severo to live for. There's more at stake. Um, my second favorite character after Severo was of course the Jackal. Oh, <laughs> talk about a great villain hero of his own story. A just, dastardly villain so good so good it's so interesting to me because there are uh, you know I, I kind of i kind of briefly touched on it earlier there's so many similarities to ender's game and even more specifically ender's shadow series uh -huh. in this but in a ways that are that are so perfected and less easy yeah um you know, there's 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 a lot of characters in the Ender Shadow series in particular that are that are very um, stereotypical. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll say like like they just kind of fit this little mold. Whereas there's so much creativity in his characters. You're because you're right. The Jackal is evil, the epitome of evil, horrifically evil. And yet I did care about him. Yeah, because. I knew all along kind of why he was like that. And you learn even more like you're reminded constantly 
as you learn even more about him of why he is the way that he is. And it's tragic. Sure is. And even the characters that you like, like Darrow, you know, there's reasons to not like them. Absolutely. They're, they're constantly making decisions that you're just like, that you can't really get behind. You can't, you can't justify. They're flawed. And, you know, it's just a beautiful set of characters, a beautiful world that's been created. And so I will say that Iron Gold is written with the same care and strength and and it, it is as powerful as all of the other books in the series um i think that once i make it through to the other end of the whole series which is not done yet mm-hmm. um i will be glad that i read it i i do feel that and i am in for the long haul now i can't stop now right i can't no um but it is hard and i'm st- i'm not sure that i'm happy that i that i that i read the fourth book I'm really not. Time will tell. Once we complete the whole series, we're going to have to revisit this. I think we will. And and I think we may have guests. We may have guests. All right. So let's let's get back into Mr. Wendig here. So <laughs> from the start of the first book till the start of the second book, five years has passed. Turns out there is a super powerful, the most powerful AI, Black Swan, who dreamed up this whole apocalypse. What? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's great. I what love, a what a twist. I love Black Swan. So she's a supercomputer who has gained sentience, seen how humanity was doing, and said, Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> let's start. Let's let's do this different. I know how this should go. So we still have everybody who survived the first book. Some of us are on a road to redemption. Some of us aren't. We get some new characters as well. (laughs) So in the first book, I legitimately had a little bit of a hard time keeping everybody straight and becoming attached and invested in everybody's plotline. There's a lot of folks going on. Benji, Marcy, Shanna, Black Swan, other people. (laughs) Um, by the way, I don't know if this name is Shanna or Shana, but I have a cousin named Shanna and it's close enough. So I call her Shanna. Sorry, but sorry, not sorry. Um, so we've got to get through this thing. We've got to get through this apocalypse. We've got to, we got to take down Black Swan. We've got to take down the white Christian nationalist Nazi fascist evils. We've, we've got to get through this. Um, I was much more satisfied and invested in Wayward, the second book. This is not one of those situations where I would say to people, oh, the first book, you just got to get through it, but the second one pays off. Like, I'm not going that hard um, because in my opinion, if that's the way a series is or worse, oh, you just got to read the first five books. Oh, gosh. Then I'm like, fuck it. That's a waste of everybody's time. Um, And I do think that the first book is not a waste of time. However, I was, like I said, I was just satisfied. And I just felt a lot more whole and complete with reading the second book. Now, I'm a horror person and I'm used to reading about horrible things and horrible people. Um, I have to say the the let's just call them the nationalist guys for just to keep it all straight these bad guys they are so very much what is walking around in parts of our country and, and other parts of the world today and i don't find it pleasant to spend any amount of time with them so 
That's a little hard, honestly, because there's times when you're following those those guys around and you're like, I'm just disgusted and I just don't want to do this. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm just like fed up with them. They're doing all kinds of crazy bullshit. And sometimes I don't want to read about them doing their crazy bullshit in a, in a fictional world, too. Um, Does it try to redeem them at all in their no, presentation? No no. no. no, 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 no. They're definitely the bad guys. But still, it's just like, can I escape you assholes? <laughs> in my fiction, in my real life, I can't escape you pariahs. Um, so yeah, I struggled to embrace the first book as much, but I was definitely invested by the time we wind around to book two. Black Swan, the AI, one of my favorite AI characters I've ever met, Black Swan will wow. stick with me for a long, long time. Um, And I genuinely cared about where everybody was going. And I also, I didn't like, know. I didn't have, like, I had some ideas, but I didn't know how this book was going to end. And that was pretty exciting. And I also have to say, you know, for Chuck, <laughs> I had a lot of empathy for him. I had a lot of compassion for him because, you know, such a time between two books and a pandemic and President Rump and <laughs> all that stuff that happened. I feel like this was like a big undertaking for him to try to wrap this sucker up. Um, that's why I'm like very curious to know what did it look like? What did it evolve over the course of, you know, those years when so much happened? It's funny because we talked a lot, especially at the time of what fiction would look like and what it must be like for authors yeah. who, you know, are writing stories post-pandemic. Yeah. What we didn't really think, at least I didn't really think about, was authors who were contracted to write a second or a third book. Yeah. And having having the pandemic happen in between. How things informed them yeah. personally, how the world was going. Um, I do enjoy the truly disturbing and grotesque horror that I mentioned. I, I'm struggling to remember now if the second book, book had sexual assault in it. I know the first one did, but I'm struggling to remember if the second one did. I don't think it did. Um, I also really admire how... Chuck has this stew pot, this cauldron, and into it he throws horror, science fiction, and these really big concepts to swallow. And he throws them all in this cauldron, and I feel like he mixed them up in a really lovely way. He put it in my soup dish, I'm mixing the soup and the cauldron and the metaphors here, but he served it to me with a side of crusty bread that Scott made, crusty delicious sourdough bread baked by Scott. And I was very happy, and I was very emotional to see the series come to an end. But it was kind of a whirlwind of, at times, struggles and emotions for me to get there, but I'm really glad I did. So, are you? Are, were you already a Chuck fan? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do enjoy Chuck. He's... He's great. I'm I'm sure I'll be reading Chuck for many more years to come. And I've read Chuck before. And how much would could would Chuck Chuck? I'll read it all. <laughs> so that having been said, I don't think I even want to like truly get into the the nitty gritty spoilers of my book because it's almost immaterial. Mm -hmm. Like I think I've kind of covered how it makes me feel. And this is a book that I think at the end of the day, you're gonna remember how you felt upon completing this duology that makes sense um i i actually kind of like books that 
you know, what I walk away from them is the feel more than even necessarily remembering all the plot points. It's like, oh, that book made me feel like this. Yeah. Sometimes it's not the plot or the characters. It's how something makes you feel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's all of it. All right. Well, I guess that brings to a conclusion this book report, progress report, (laughs) how I spent my summer vacation episode. Did you like it? Did you have fun? The answer is yes. Um, (laughs) Let us know if you did. Um, Keep it to yourself if you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Okay. Thank you guys so much for being here, for listening to our show. We appreciate you all. I'm Sandra. I'm Scott. Please keep reading past your bedtime. (laughs) 